0: Welcome back to Build and Learn. My name is CJ. And
1: I'm Colin. And today we are talking about whether you should build versus buy software. It's that classic build versus buy decision that you may or may not have encountered in your day to day, but we're going to dig into it a little bit today. What kinds of things have you been up to since we last chatted last week?
0: We're kind of winding down the summer here. Our kids are getting ready to go to school. So we're, yeah, we're kind of like starting to enter into hibernation mode i guess like cleaning winter things is up coming yeah winter is coming eventually sometime we haven't experienced a fall in new england yet and so we see some trees starting to turn and we're getting nervous about how many leaves we're gonna have to pick up and like all of this stuff so yeah we're getting we're getting ready for that transition i think the kids are excited to go back to school third and fourth grade it's a good times nice. yeah I know at this time of year also that like right at the end of summer, beginning of fall, a very special thing happens in Northern Nevada. And so, you know, if you're going to UNR, students will be off campus. They're just gone. All, teachers too. Right. Yeah. If you're in, if you're in and around Reno, you start to see all of these like really wild looking vehicles passing through. And you know, there's a lot of dust on the road. So there's a special thing coming up. What, what have, what have you got going on?
1: Yeah, I feel like we're literally, I mean, we are in different parts of the country, but like, you're talking about leaves turning, and I'm thinking about how hot it's going to be out in the (laughs) desert. Yeah, so Burning Man's coming up. I know it's a pretty popular thing in in tech circles. There's a lot of like, preconceived notions of what Burning Man is as well. And uh, you know, it's it's definitely a lot of fun. This is going to be my eighth year since, I guess my first year was in 2008, so I've been going a while kind of off and on and have run theme camps and really big groups out there and I'm kind of now like more of one of the the veteran curmudgeony burners that you know just wants to go out and build my shade structure and do our own little things so no like official like duties that I have to do while I'm out there other than like build my shade build my structure and make sure I have enough food and water and then just kind of enjoy the whole thing.
0: Nice. Do you bring out water to bathe with or like shower with? Or are you like one of the hardcore people that are just, I'm going to be dusty and I'll get super, super dusty when I get home, I'll shower.
1: Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about it is it's it's a, like an alkaline dust. It's, it's not like if you went camping in the forest where like a few days you're going to feel like dirty. It's really interesting because it's like, think about like Mad Max or, you know, like <laughs> it's just like very fine baby powder. And it's very easy. Like you actually feel kind of clean in a weird way. Like you might be covered in dust. So some people try to like do all sorts of cleaning regimens out there. It, baby wipes are your friend, basically or like the really large <laughs> format ones you can get. Yeah. Uh, some people try. They do like solar showers and stuff. The issue is bringing out enough water because you're already wanting to bring enough water to cook and, you know, drink. And so it's part and then you got to deal with the water like you need to try to like deal with your wastewater after that. So you're not supposed to pour things onto the ply like that. We could go on and on for a whole episode on on this, like because a lot of people just think it's like a, you know, party in the desert, which it very much is. But like a lot of people who have never been before don't realize how harsh of an environment it is out there. And yes, you can buy ice and there's people your neighbors are going to help you if you forget something. But it is one of the more inhospitable places on the planet to go to.
0: You've gone eight years. Are you doing a theme this year or I am searching? with
1: a, Yeah, I am with a camp, but it's like again a camp of people who have done it for so many years that we don't really wanna like some camps have dues and you gotta sign up to do group cooking and like events and all that stuff. And so our camp we actually record like on behalf of the the Burning Man organization things at burning man in vr so 360 degree video we're going to be out there with i think it's like oculus goes which are like an older version of the oculus that's like really lightweight indestructible version doesn't have to be tethered to a computer and it is you know i thought it was a little bit corny at first it's like you can't like why not just enjoy it while i try to capture this but the people who started it are literal like librarians and documentarians who are trying to create an archive of what's going on out there and so they get invited to go out in the middle of something that you as even an attendee aren't allowed to be in the center of mm. and get to capture that in, in 3d and then teaming up with other groups. There's a group called BlackRock BRCVR VR that does more of the like 3d metaverse avatar side of things. So you get to actually like, if you're not on playa, you can turn on your Oculus at home and, and be part of the, of an experience out there. And, It's kind of interesting because it's like obviously never going to replace what it, I mean, it's hot and dusty and all that stuff doesn't come through, obviously. But like half of it is like getting through the day because it's hot and you get to see all these amazing things and you're running into people. And then at night you get to go out and it's just like, you know, every LED that you've ever seen on the planet all in one place and fire and just it's it's a really good time. So
0: something that I've heard is that you can't actually buy anything there. It's all like a barter system. So in today's episode of build versus buy literally <laughs> you have to build everything <laughs> you can't yeah. buy anything or you have to trade
1: right yeah we can jump into the theme but yeah that one also gets a little bit of misinterpreted because they do sell ice just because it will be very hard to be out there like i'm going to be there for nine days you can be really good at packing a cooler and nine days you just it's going to be melted no matter what so you figure out things that don't require refrigeration and ice and things like that but you know having a nice beer on ice is also a, a luxury to have so they do sell ice but it's more of a like a gifting economy and that there is no real economy it's just that some people will bring gifts quote unquote and that gift might even just be helping you build your shade or build your camp right it doesn't have to be a thing and it's not an expectation that you're giving something back right in some cases this is like open source if we want to go there like Mm -hmm. there is a lot of reasons why i think developers and and community-minded people are attracted to it is that yes you got to buy a ticket yes technically going to burning man in general is expensive like it is a privilege to go because you got to have the time to go the money to go you know unfortunately you know it it ends up skewing towards a demographic that is allowed like is able to make that Mm -hmm. work once you have paid to go and you get there you're not spending money, someone might just make a bunch of stickers and pass them out. It might just be an act of kindness that they're doing. And then some people go all out and, you know, cast little figurines out of silver. And, you know, randomly, you might, you know, just because you talked to somebody that did that, they might give you one. And, you know, you're not doing anything out there with expectation. And you're not trying to, you know, collect all these little gifts or anything. It's just an interesting thing of like, you know, I'm not going to be doing this. with an expectation of return or something Mm -hmm. like
0: that. I also am really intrigued by the way that it's set up, like the, the actual layout of the city, because it it is a city. And I think someone recently shared an image of like Mesa, Arizona, which is also sort of laid out in a circle where everyone is, it's easier to sort of like cross the city to any Mm -hmm. point rather than having it laid out in like a perfect, like rectangular grid. Um, Yeah, an architect
1: designed that and or many architects probably, but it's interesting because the the way that your addresses are actually based on the hours of a clock. And then the rings inside of that circle are the different streets from A to H. And so each one has a different name, but you can just say like 330 and A. And if you're at 12 midnight, right? Midnight, then you can figure out where three is. It's pretty interesting way of doing it. Um, There've been some like competitions and and to like redesign the city and you get all sorts of interesting things, but then you end up realizing it's like, okay, now to get from one side to the other, it takes you twice as long, or Mm -hmm. you don't know where you're at in relation to other things. Like it, it is a really interesting thing. And like clocks exist around the world. So it's pretty easy for, you know, a global audience to pick it up and know what, what that means. But yeah. So
0: yeah, it's, it's like a, it's an annual beta test of like how you should lay out a city.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think it would be fun to change it every year, but yeah, I think everyone would get super lost.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Colin at RailsConf this year did a talk about build versus buy. And a lot of it was around sort of uh, stuff at your current role, but yeah, just kind of curious, like where we should start and maybe we can like set the stage and talk about what, the differences or maybe kind of like who might be making this decision?
1: Yeah, I mean, my the talk that I did was specifically like build versus buy on Rails, which we can talk about in a little bit. That one was kind of funny because I was like, is this Railsy enough for RailsConf? But I think, you know, I, I did pretty good justice there because it is a decision that everyone will eventually have to make. And it might not mean that you're physically taking your wallet out and buying something. It might mean using an open source library or a gem or you know, whatever modules are in your language. But to kind of set that stage, it's anytime that you can think about building something from scratch, or buying something using something off the shelf, or I would say the third pillar would be in, implementing something from off the shelf, right? So you might use something off the shelf or buy something, but you still have to build to it or, you know, implement it into your system. So build versus buy kind of simplifies it where it's like, Something like Zapier is something you're buying and you don't have to necessarily write any code for that. But you know, is it enough? I would say like in the topic of integration, some companies just say we have Zapier, right? And in some cases, that means that they did have to do some work to build to Zapier, but they did that once. And now Zapier is going to build all the integration points. And for some companies, you know, like an indie company might love to do that and indie customers might love that, but an enterprise company you know, saying like, here, go use Zapier probably isn't going to work. And so that's where that starts to evolve a little bit, but yeah, has this kind of come up for you and your work or like the decision in your role or how does that come? Yeah. I mean,
0: over, over the years, I've definitely run into this a bunch of times where, I mean, probably the earliest instance I can remember was trying, just trying to save money on little side project ideas that I was building myself. Like I, was spending a ton of money on Heroku. And so I was like, hey, I bet I could use a DigitalOcean droplet for way less money if I can just build some of this stuff myself with open source tools like Nginx and whatever other stuff. And it ended up being like a giant pain and it was totally worth just spending the money on Heroku for hosting instead of kind of build all <laughs> the like infra myself. But yeah, yeah another, so you had like, a trade-off there then, right? Absolutely, yeah. There's always going to be a trade-off and... It's really hard, I think, I don't know, it's, it's really hard for me personally to not build something. <laughs> and so right now I am thinking through my content process for instance, right? Like if I'm, once I make a video, I want to transcribe the video. I want to use that transcription with OpenAI to generate tweets and video descriptions and titles. And then I want that to pipe into TikTok and all these other social media things. And I wanted to track the analytics for all of that. And so my immediate first reaction as an engineer is like, okay, I can go build this. But in reality, what I'm now, like literally today setting up is Airtable so that I can just use a bunch of tools that are already built into Airtable. It's like this no code off the shelf thing. Maybe I mm-hmm. pay 10 bucks a month, but Now I don't have to maintain my own hosted Heroku (laughs) Frankenstein of like, okay, here's my video workflow, so.
1: Right. Yeah, I think what you touched on there a little bit is what some people have called like not invented here syndrome. And Mm. as engineers, we really do enjoy building things and it's very easy to trivialize how easy something will be, right? You're like, oh, I can do this in a weekend and mm-hmm. it's going to be worth saving all this stuff. But you you don't have the knowledge of the, everyone who's come before you who has mm-hmm. tried to do that. And almost always, you know, I, this is even in building features. Like I try not to ever say that will be easy, like ever, mm-hmm. because there are edge cases and gotchas that, You know, even sending an email, it's like, oh, I can just do SMTP by myself. But like, SendGrid exists for a reason, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? There are issues with deliverability and there are issues with like even just making sure an email address is a real email address before the email goes out. You end up paying for it and it's a trade off. But if you try to do all of SendGrid yourself, that's when I start to argue like, should you Mm -hmm. be doing that?
0: There's a funny story that I heard when I was working at this robotics company a long time ago, and it was a a story about a monorail. And so there's like some airport and the problem they were trying to fix was like, oh, we don't have enough parking. And so we're going to build a parking structure like really far away. And then, you know, oh gosh, how are we going to get the people from the parking structure to the airport? And so they... Instead of just being like, oh, let's make like a road and use buses and we'll just like buy a bunch of buses. They're like, oh, immediately we're going to over engineer this and build our own monorail. That's yeah. going to be like super epic and it's going to have all these bells and whistles and it'll be unmanned and automated and all this stuff. So, you know, like, I don't know, it, it's, it's a really good story when you're thinking to yourself, should I build this as an engineer and be like, OK, is this a monorail? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Am I building a monorail right now? Right, yeah.
1: Especially relevant if you're using Rails.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's hilarious. Yeah. I
1: think uh, I saw someone in the community was tweeting about how we should have a hackathon on a train. And I swear I've seen this before, but they were like, let's do Rails on Rails. And I was like, I swear this is a thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think there was a caboose comp or something like that one year <laughs> that was like a conference after Rails conf, which was like super hilarious. But like I would... Do a Rails on Rails, like sign me up.
0: I think the maybe combining Rails on Ales, like the beer conference, like Rails on <laughs> Ales on Rails, like
1: yeah, we stop at <laughs> microbrews along the way.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it has anyway, to be on a monorail. It has to be on a monorail,
1: <laughs> and majestic, majestic monorail, right? That's gonna be the new monorepo repo. Is a, is a monorail? But I, I see this a lot at companies, especially for engineers who don't talk to customers or aren't in touch with the business side of things, it's very easy to you know, build stuff. And the thing that, that I've really come to, and you see this on like the more indie hackers side of things too, is like you as a business, you have an infinite or so you have a finite amount of time and capital probably. So like your time, a developer's time, if you're hiring someone to build something, you have an like a a limited amount of money to spend on it and you really in general have a limited amount of time to prove out a like a thesis you know mm-hmm. you're building something that may or may not be what a customer wants and so what you really have to think about is should this be a core competency of yours like should i be doing all of my own payment rails should i be doing all my own twilio like sms stuff or i guess the other way to phrase it like is this what a customer's hiring us for, right? Like if your tool is for like in the case of Orbit, managing a community, but then we do like 10 other things on top of it. Well, it's like, maybe we need a few of those 10 things. And so it makes sense to do use a gem or use an open source library for those kinds of things. Whereas the core competency of ingesting events and identifying members and that stuff should be like our core competency is thinking about like what your unique value proposition is and so again like if you're not an email company probably don't send don't try to be the best at sending emails let (laughs) SendGrid do that for you i think stripe is really interesting place because most people can't go build their own payment rails so it's like a really defensible thing to be honest too right like if you're building a company, or you're working at a company, and you are this engineer, like sometimes, you know, we don't yet know if this audience for build and learn is engineers at a company or indie founders, right? But you want to think, about what's defensible. And if spending a whole month on building the most amazing reporting engine is what you do, but then you have no customers for your main product, that's probably going to be a bad use of your time. And so looking at some of these, like, drop in report builders or drop in query builders or even an output to Airtable right might be the answer there.
0: Yeah, th- I think the point you made about having a finite set of money and time is really interesting because I think the amount of money you have also influences your decisions a lot. Like if you are a startup that has zero money and you're just by yourself and you have a lot of time, yeah, then you know, it might make sense to save a little bit of cash to build a few things. Whereas, if you have, if you just raised like a hundred million round and you are, you have like I don't know, ten years of runway or something really great, then maybe you're at a point where you can buy or even like I guess, yeah. If if you like zoom out a little bit now, you're talking about like buying potentially even like competitors or acquiring other companies. Yeah. In addition to just like buying software or paying for software that you want to use so yeah i guess like that gets really interesting Um, you may
1: also not be able to hire the people that you think you can hire and so it's like okay do we want to hire in our case when we think about integrations when you think about build versus buy and integrations it's a very very large iceberg of problems that are below the surface when you build integrations And so you need to have a purpose-built team for it. They need to be cared and fed for after you build them, right? Maintenance is something we haven't really talked about yet, but Mm -hmm. once you bring it into the world, it doesn't just exist. You got to take care of it. You got to maintain it. But you may not, when you're first starting out and you may not have, like maybe you're an indie hacker that's getting started on your own and you don't have the dollars, but you have the time. Maybe you're a founder who's not a developer. You may not be able to hire a developer. And so you might... Need to pay for an integration platform, or you know, even hire a contractor temporarily to get you to that integration platform, and then that person, you know, is going to teach you what you need to know just to maintain it or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a trade-off of time and money for sure. And you bring up a good point. Like I do see, I think a lot of people in the reverse side of that, like they might raise a lot of money, build a whole team, and then also build everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. And now you're like moving pretty slowly because everyone's building and reinventing the wheel again whereas Mm -hmm. things like email i'll just keep coming back to that it's like that's a solved problem let's not figure out how to send emails all over again and figure out again what kind of no code or like really i think the guiding principle for a pm or or even an engineer would be to speak up if you think like this you know a customer at the end of the day is not going to be like wow i really am glad i use stripe for their reports (laughs) right (laughs) Right. Or like, oh, yeah, Stripe really sends those emails really well. Like, that's not what people remember. Sure, it's important that the emails get there and the reports are there, but Mm -hmm. they're not, you know, as worried about where those came from.
0: Right. Yeah. Would you like I I guess I'm I'm wondering if there's like a rule of thumb here. And I'm also nervous by the possible answer being, default to always buy because that doesn't sound fun to me (laughs) but like i wonder if the answer is like by default you should probably hire some SaaS to do a job for you unless it is like the unique thing that you're building and you should buy everything else that's interesting thought experiment because in our case we
1: did for building integrations we'll give a real use case here we have integrations to like four community tools or 4 or 5 when we started like github slack discourse discord there was something else in there and we knew that we built all those by hand so that was we started off with built and to get to the next 20 we were looking at whether or not we pay for these there's now services that are like a integrations like stripe type platform and so we evaluated a lot of them they still were going to require a lot of work on our end like You're Mm -hmm. building to their APIs. You're building them into your product. Can you switch away from them? Switching costs is going to be an issue. Theoretically, they're all like, yeah, you could leave at any time. It's like, well, once people have authenticated with us, there's no way that they're leaving. Like we can't just make everybody re-auth. So it became a situation where like the, the, the spoiler here is that we went with build. And what we did though, is that we decided to look at all the five integrations that we had already built. And we came up with, the common framework amongst them and then we then were able to build i think we now have it took us like a year to build 5 and now we have in like 6 months another 10 mm-hmm. because of that framework and that framework was not you know it was very mvp it was we've been adding to it as we add each new integration that has like a little edge case and again mm-hmm. like every one of these is like oh of course this company has decided that oauth works this way and yeah. so you're almost trying to create the standard and the issue is I think like IBM has this old ad of like the universal business connector and it's like a giant plug and it's got every plug on it. And like Mm -hmm. that thing doesn't exist. But in the same vein of this conversation, there's this phrase in the industry called no one ever got fired for hiring IBM or paying for Mm -hmm. IBM, right? Is that like if you choose to do build and it's wrong, oftentimes people lose their job or the company lost a lot of money or they just lost a lot of time and they still could go back and buy right it or in some cases i've seen people will do both they will build and they will buy and then they'll pit them against each other and then you can keep moving forward with whichever one wins and maybe you decide that they both win and you keep both of them in there and they make you go faster that way
0: that again comes back to that default should you default to buy and i'm also trying to think about like have i ever regretted buying something instead of building it and i don't think i can think of a single instance, yeah. but I can definitely think of a bunch of stuff where I built my own hacky thing and it was fragile and broke all the time and I was super frustrated with it. And then ultimately at the end of the day, just like, you know, threw it away or whatever. So yeah,
1: that's interesting. So like how much of that was like a maintenance overhead?
0: A huge part of it is maintenance overhead. Like think about hey, Heroku, like what you right.
1: get for a paid dyno is a DevOps team and Mm -hmm. deployment and simple tools, right? There have been things, there's a tool, something called Doku, D-O-K-K-U. It is a Docker version of Heroku that you can spin up on your own box. Mm -hmm. To call it a direct replacement though, like it doesn't have, I think, I I don't know if it might now, but like rollbacks and like all these features that, that Heroku has added over time. And you just couldn't, like as a, especially as a single developer like you couldn't get that much power even if you did build it right it's like if you do that you're not building the thing you set out to build in the first place mm-hmm. you're now building a Heroku competitor instead
0: right yeah and if you if you think about like a lot of these other companies like Vercel or Supabase or yeah like where they're enabling you to do things that you wouldn't have been able to do before like deploying all these things to the edge and you know, like having all kinds of automated systems for managing all of your assets for you, your images and whatever, like there. Yeah. I, I think the gap between host it yourself, just like spin up and like your own thing on Amazon and host it yourself, like that is starting to go away, right? Like there's all of these porcelain, beautiful solutions on top of AWS that take away so much of the work that you would otherwise have to do to build up all of your own infrastructure inside of AWS that for me, that seems like the best example is like, don't use, I don't know. In, in my experience, I don't think I should build on AWS. Instead I should always just buy something that is going to give me like a nicer interface into AWS and do other things for me, mm-hmm. especially because it's, it's like, even even these layers, these thin layers like Heroku Versell, Netlify, whatever, they themselves are also being commoditized. Like they're not that much more expensive than just doing it directly on AWS. And so sure, they can take a sliver of my tiny little startup, but like yeah. at the end of the day, that doesn't matter a ton. So
1: well, and they're counting on you getting big, right? So they want to give you credit, they want to give you a free site on Netlify and they hope that you need their you know, whatever their paid services are. Once you like get to that scale, this kind of brings up this concept of innovation tokens. Have you seen this blog post? I'll have to find it and put in the show notes. I
0: don't think so. Yeah. What is this?
1: So this is essentially like, let's just pretend that you only have three innovation tokens and you want to spend them. You don't get to build your own database from scratch, write your own programming language and some other third thing. Like you get three things that are novel and new but you can't spend them on everything. And this is where I think you see some startups today, like Jason Warner, previously of GitHub, he's, he's been pretty public about like, if you're a series A company and you're using Kubernetes, like you probably have built that monorail that you were talking about. Like yeah. you probably have created complexity for yourself that is not needed, right? Like why are you using Kubernetes when Rails on Heroku should be able to get you to product market fit and customers paying you and it's like, oh, now our API can't handle it, so maybe now it makes sense to go to aWS because the traffic through Heroku, like we'll just give it thirty second timeout on Heroku. That's a problem mm-hmm. for some people, right? And it's like, well, why why is our API taking thirty seconds to return in the first place? It's probably a better mm-hmm. question, but like it, there's a point at which it makes sense to go down to the rail, like the literal bare metal of aWS or whatever that is. But in this case, it's like, okay, we're going to spend an innovation token on Kubernetes and we're going to go do microservices. It's like, okay, now we just spent two. And the complexity of the code base is so out there that now onboarding a new developer is hard. Knowing how to add a new feature is hard. And so you want to make sure, And I think it's captured better in the blog post. So I'll put that in the show notes, but it is just a good thing. Or it's like, let's just say you do have five features. You can't reinvent the wheel for all five of them and mm-hmm. i would even argue maybe you don't reinvent the wheel for any of them like you said mm-hmm. like default to buy like and again buy doesn't mean spending money here because you could go grab a gem right like it doesn't make sense to build your own markdown previewer mm-hmm. when there are 20 in mm-hmm. ruby alone right so like let's go use one of those because again like someone might want to use markdown but like you're not a mark I mean unless you're a markdown app Like, then Mm -hmm. I would say maybe you should make your own parser, but like only if there's a compelling reason Mm -hmm. to do that.
0: I think it's it's been interesting to see from the inside of Stripe how much stuff we've built like ourselves instead of buying. A great example of that is Markdoc. I mean, when you mentioned Markdown, like this sprang to mind. Markdoc is this framework for authoring documentation that that we built, and it is a React framework that allows you to author most of your content in Markdown files. And then you can build components with React that you can then sort of sprinkle throughout your Markdown. Because we found that like, okay, none of the Markdown things works the way that we liked. And yeah. So we built it ourselves. And so there's, there's actually like quite a few instances of that across the organization, but that is a really massive successful work that's doing that and so i would say that most yeah like most of the time
1: well stripe didn't start with that right right that's yes. important yes. to know you yes. get you uh, like when i think about uh, this article and i just pulled it up they talk about choosing boring technologies mm-hmm. and embracing boredom and that means like maintenance and all these things it's like the more things you add it's going to become more intense to maintain but in the case of mark docs like Stripe has kind of always been known as like having great docs as marketing and great developer experience. I'm sure if we go far enough back in the Wayback Machine, like it probably wasn't always that way when it was like slash dev slash payments or whatever, right? Like you probably could find a doc site that feels like any startup today, but they chose to make that a differentiator and that's where that, is this our core competency and is it our unique value proposition comes back in Cause they're like, okay, people love our docs. Now how can we make our docs process better for us mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. team to make that continually better for the customer? That one makes sense and it's kind of a moat, right? Like mm-hmm. we won't mention names, but like there's some other companies that don't have really great docs that mm-hmm. accomplish similar things, right? So that becomes a really important thing. And you do see companies, there's literally a company that bills itself as Stripe docs as a service from Y Combinator, right? And so it's like, yeah. And it it's almost, like it looks identical to Stripe docs. I'm like, well, I don't really want Stripe Docs as much as I want good docs that are my own, but <laughs> it's still <laughs> a cool idea. And the fact that a whole company now exists, I, similarly to don't do your own email, like at Orbit, we're like revamping our API. And we made that decision, like we are going to revamp the API. We are not throwing away all the tools that we use to do mm-hmm. the docs and the api and all of that because like we already know them so let's just use them and maybe use them you know 10 percent more like there's 10 percent more features in these tools like our swag and swagger and all this stuff that we just aren't using that could make our docs better instead of like we're not going to go build our own static site generator and mm-hmm. like we could implement mark docs but like it's it's a new it's an innovation token for us that we probably shouldn't spend maybe when we're profitable and the docs are a clear value provider, then, then it would make sense to do that. So
0: I am, now I'm wondering, I remember playing around with the API reference for Orbit and you can kind of like enter in fields and test out requests. Is that something that you bought or something you built? Is that open source?
1: That is something um, we bought. Yeah, so we use readme.io okay. for our docs.
0: The YC company, right? Readme.io. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Or even Got read.
1: It theory. might even be readme.com now.
0: Okay. Yeah. Stepping up in the world. <laughs> stepping up.
1: But I think that that io domain signals that you're a developer company, so you gotta, yeah. gotta keep it. <laughs> um, I think
0: I saw the they posted a hiring. They're also hiring on like the them. Hacker News. Who's hiring? If, if month, you love so.
1: docs, it's it's a really cool tool, and I will admit, like I did go into it with like I hate our docs, like because mm. I didn't realize we weren't using enough of readme's features. We weren't mm. using enough of open API features. We weren't using, and then, so like, in some cases it was like, let's just relook at the tools that we have and we are paying for it, but it's also like, I don't have to think about where the docs get deployed. They just exist. You know, that also means like, we also want to build out more of like what you guys have at Stripe with the more like guides and tutorials and stuff so that people get a better sense of the concepts and they do have that in readme we just don't use it Mm. and so like we have a whole separate webflow website that does that right now and like we're just gonna put it all in readme so that it's all in one place and again like we have to invest in writing and copy and documentation but we're not gonna blow an innovation token on you know building a Jamstack website and pulling in from yard docs and all this stuff that we could pull in but
0: so it seems like the takeaway there is that if you are going to buy, it's worth investing in learning about the thing that you bought so that you can actually take advantage of it. I think that's like where the entire industry of customer success like came from. Yeah, It was like, how do you make sure that you increase the adoption of all the different features and the attach of all the different features for your product? So yeah, yeah that's definitely something to keep in mind, I guess. Like,
1: Well, I imagine like if I was using one, like I signed up for Stripe and I use the one thing that I cared about when I joined, I may not be paying attention to all the other features, right? And so that's where I think CSMs can help and be like, hey, we know you're using this. Did you also know you could do this? And your Mm -hmm. team is really great at that, right? As you roll out these new beta features and stuff, you're looking at who's using similar features and saying, hey, do you want this to be 10% better? Come check this thing out. And it almost always is like, this is the thing we've been waiting for. Why is not Stripe do this? And it's like, oh, here it is, you know, for you to mm-hmm. try out. And with readme, it was more of, I was like, why can't I just write in here? Like we, we deployed to a JSON and JSON gets ingested by readme and then that, and we'll do a whole episode, I think on docs for sure. But like, why can't I also put like written prose in here to help? developers understand and maybe even drop in a video or you know a a diagram because the open api spec to my knowledge doesn't have that right Mm -hmm. and does that belong in the code and all that stuff but then i was like oh readme has an editor right here and if i write in here it shows up above the generated stuff so it's like we that was like a light bulb but also like wow how did we not know that this was here in our case maybe we have a csm with readme i don't know maybe we're not paying them enough for that kind of attention but like it's just nice to like get into the tools you have. What you mentioned about defaulting to buy, I think that's a smart thing. Like I would say definitely don't default to build. At mm-hmm. least go get a spreadsheet, do a little column, pretend you're buying a car, you know, and figure out like if I do this, if I do this, if I do this. And I would I also ask like what would what what could go wrong? Like mm-hmm. if this if we get this wrong, is it the end of the company? Is it is, am I gonna get fired? <laughs> right? yeah hopefully you're in a company that celebrates learning and failure and you're not going to get fired. But uh, I think making sure that everyone knows like what the stakes are is important. And then the other side of it is what could go right. Like if we pull this off, how great is that? And Mm -hmm. you know, for us building integrations has, I think we're still going to wait to see if it pans out as being the right choice. But like if we had to continually pay more and more and more money to companies based on how many people are integrating, it feels like a good value metric to go off of, but like, you know, when time like right now with the economy being what it is, I think we're really excited that we don't pay more money for our integrations. Like the the other way to think of buying is that you're renting versus owning. And as a homeowner, you know, like owning a house means taking care of the house, right? Renting, sure it might be a little bit more expensive per month, but you're not taking care
0: of the house. You're not having to deal mm-hmm. with all the stuff that goes into that. So that reminded me of Another concept, and I'm curious how you're thinking about this, and that is around platform risk. So if you decide to buy and you go all in on a platform, and then that platform either just like increases your prices by some crazy amount, or they discontinue a service that you're using and depending on, or that your entire business is built on. Or they go out of business. Right. Or they go out of business. So maybe this is like another potential warning for buy is try to validate the, I don't know, like make sure that the company you're buying is legit. <laughs> the software yeah. you're buying is going to last. Yeah. So. You kind of hit
1: all the heads there for that. Definitely consider that as a risk. Technically, if they're building and growing as they should, they're trying to get the word that they'll never use, but it's called vendor lock-in, right? Mm-hmm. They want to provide you more value so that you willingly like you gladly pay for it, but it does mean it's going to be harder to leave one day, and maybe that's okay. That's just something that you have to kind of think about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, when I was building I was a Tech Stars company called Cloud Snap, and we were building an integration platform as a service back in 2012, we only had raised five hundred thousand dollars. So, how many companies do you think were willing to put our code mm-hmm. into their code? Or right to talk to, you know to build to us and create those integrations that we required you to kind of follow a little bit of a stripe model for like we're going to give you a customer token and and we're going to hold on to all their oauth tokens and we'll handle refreshing them for you and it's kind of like a credit card in that respect and who yeah not a lot of companies were like it's like maybe if you guys go out and get your series a then we'll, we'll chat again they just wanted to know that we had the runway to even exist, let alone the technical side of that, right?
0: Yeah, that's interesting too, because it, when when you were building CloudSnap, if I recall correctly, like one of the first integrations was sales, Salesforce, is that yeah. right? And so I'm in the back of my mind, I'm like, I wonder if going for the enterprise integrations first was something that caused the companies who would use those enterprise integrations to question yeah. versus going for, like, more indie stuff first. I have no idea. World. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's also interesting because I feel like where you're at now and CloudSnap and my VR, and, like, a bunch of tools that we use are all, like, very similar in that they live at the seams between two giant systems or, like, between lots and lots of different systems. And, yeah, like, there's definitely so much value in being that glue layer between all these different useful tools. but yeah, trying to figure out how to build a company around it is definitely challenging for sure. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: I think but, you and I might be gluttons for punishment there. Like being on the seam is a pretty terrifying place to be like because things are always breaking. Things Mm -hmm. are always trying. It's like a multiverse of apps, right? It's like.
0: Yes. (laughs) it's Yeah. It's like choosing to build a house on the San Andreas Fault because like everything is around. is shifting. Like maybe your house is going to fall into the sinkhole. Who knows? But
1: it's something that a lot of companies do. So anyone who solves it, you know, whether it's internally, like at my VR, it was trying to figure out how to do that for themselves. But for us, it's like, oh, yeah, customers build your houses on the San Andreas Fault. We will handle all the issues. And you're just like, we can't. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think that there still is like i still think that integration as a service thing is interesting there are a few companies doing it today um Mm. kind of are they how i would do it no like that was the ultimate reason why we didn't go with them was it required our team to know their tools so well so it's kind of like do we want to become consultants of this tool and then if those developers ever leave now we have to train someone else on it. Whereas what we ended up doing kind of to round it out here is everything we built is in Ruby. Every one of our engineers is a Ruby engineer. Everything is not unfamiliar to them. We can do code reviews, we can check it. It's not like talking to some thing on the other side of the fence that we don't know if it's going to go down. We don't know how it works. We don't know if it's going to go out of business, like all those different things. And that was where I kind of ended my talk. Was that it's, at the end of the day, it's Ruby, it's Rails, it's convention, it's a lot of different things that like we're used to, and so we don't need to reinvent the wheel every single time we do it. But we also do get some satisfaction out of getting to build it ourselves and own it and invest in it. So yeah, integration, very cool. All right, so I think that's a great place to wrap. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into build versus buy, and you got a little bit of Burning Man envy as well. <laughs>
0: Right on. Next time we're going to be back talking again about code reviews. This time talking about how to review code rather than authoring a PR. And as always, you can head over to buildandlearn.dev to check out all the links and resources in the show notes.
1: That's all for this episode. We'll see you next time.
0: Bye friends.